the things that you the, the things that you naturally are good at and have an abundance of that you have a it'd be um, extremely valuable to some people. You know, there'd be other people that you might like, but they just don't perceive that as very and very valuable. So they have different goals or different values than you do. Right? So, you know, ideally, you want to look for situations that you could add a lot of value to someone else's life in a way that's very low cost for you, because you already have that talent, that skill, the relationships, etc. That, you know, it'd be, it might be extremely valuable for someone else. And for you, it's just sharing a piece of knowledge or wisdom or a social contact on occasion or something like that, yeah? And meanwhile, you want to find somebody that has an arbitrage opportunity that, that they have, you know, social or intellectual or financial resources. It'd be very easy for them to help your life in a significant way. It'd be very valuable to you and very easy for them and vice versa. Be very valuable to them and very easy to you. And if you could deliver that large surplus to someone, at a low cost to yourself, and if they could deliver a large surplus to you at a low cost to themselves, I mean, you're, you're natural. To the extent that you have similar values and similar goals, and you're able to help each other in significant ways like that, you know, that's going to be a beautiful relationship with whoever it is. Right? So I'm not just saying monetary things, but also emotional things that, you know, there's, there's a way that you'd prefer that your, your long-term romantic partner, there's a way that you'd prefer that she talk to you or a way that you prefer that there's, there's going to be certain customs or traditions that you grew up with that you'd like somebody to adhere to similar customs and traditions, especially if you're interested in kids. You know, would you want your kids uh, raised in a way that you find bizarre and distasteful? Or, well, you'd probably like to have a woman that has, you know, very similar values or, you know, um, adheres to similar customs or social norms that, that you would like to, to live with your family life, you know? Um, you could go, you know, focus your, your persistence and your toughness doing something that matters. Something that would actually bring resources back to the family and, you know, make you happy and make your family better off or your, your other friends or loved ones better off, you know. So no reason to have these uh, unnecessary distractions and traumas and absurdities, you know. But that, the, the, the core thought, it's, it doesn't sound romantic, it doesn't sound flashy and cool, but it, it is that, you know, discerning that what are the things that you most selfishly want for yourself? What are the things that you most selfishly desire? How do you most selfishly want to live your life, given your taste and preferences of who you are and how you are? What are the things that you probably should change? And you know yourself, you could do better, and you'd have better outcomes because of it. And what are some of the things that you're not going to change that you're like, well, it's one of those things I, maybe I should do ideally, but you're probably not fucking going to. So just build that into the model, you know? Just build that into the model that, well, my ideal self wouldn't do this, but, you know, it's like number 12 on my things to do list, you know? I gotta take care of these other 10, 11 things, so maybe that one, that's gonna come late, you know? So, the, the more you have that, the more you have that in your head, the more certainty you're gonna have when you talk to anybody that um, it's gonna be useful or not useful, it's gonna, it's gonna be compatible or not compatible. And then you don't waste your fucking time. Then you don't have these shitty relationships for three months or six months. You don't have you know, guys that waste your time, women that are wasting your time, this dissatisfaction that comes with all that that just adds more uncertainty. It really hurts your self-esteem when you allow those things to persist in your life. So yeah, the, the, more, you, the more you think that through, um, and the more you can make yourself useful to other people that perceive you as useful, you know, you're gonna have a, a lot, lot more uh, 
a lot more peace, a lot more happiness. The difficult things you do are going to be purposeful. You know, that when you're using your willpower to do something, you should be getting a benefit, not maintaining some liability. You just spend, you make sure you're spending 80 hours a week on some goals, you know, goal-oriented behavior for at least 80 hours, 100 if you can make yourself do it. And uh, your future self will really thank you. Your future self will really thank you. And everybody, you know, rich people, smart, poor people, smart people, dumb people, everybody gets 168 hours in their week, you know. And um, the people that manage that time best are going to have the best outcomes. The people that manage their time best, people that work harder. You know, the idea that your person works 40 hours a week, you know, that's not a quarter of the fucking week. And then they want to take weeks off and holidays and all this other bullshit. You know, that's not 25% of the week. So 75% of the week you're supposed to be... And you know damn well that on that 40-hour work week, they find, they find a way to fuck up 40 or 50% of that, that. So you got... 20, 30 hours of real productivity in a week? It's, you know, that's, that's, 20, that's less than 20% maybe. So, you know, 20% would be 34 hours, 33.6. So. I would say I'm a little bit like a pussy when it comes to sleeping. I like sleeping a lot. So, probably need to sacrifice that a little bit. You know, I, this is one of those things people like to pick at me for, you know, if I, if I make a post, uh, if I make an Instagram post saying, uh, you know, if you value your sleep more than your goals, you know, don't, don't expect to achieve those goals. But I, I just don't, I don't see people that have, uh, I, I don't know anybody that, you know, built a business and had eight hours of sleep every night. I don't know anybody that got a, a, a graduate degree, you know, doctorate degree, master's degree. That you, you ever lose a little sleep working on your PhD? Yeah. Would you be in a PhD? Would, would you have done that without? Would it be possible to accomplish the things that you accomplished in academics without losing some sleep on occasion? And, and that, a PhD don't make a lot of fucking money, by the way. They don't make a lot of fucking money. It's just you know, but it just shows a commitment to a. You know, to a particular discipline or, or a commitment to uh, an area of human endeavor. Is anything that you're going to make a lot of fucking money afterwards? In most cases, you know, you make a hundred and some thousand doing something. You know, hundred and fifty grand, a couple hundred, if, depends what it is. You know, so <clears throat> even to make that in a career, you're going to you're going to lose some sleep. And a person that's building a business from scratch, just you know. It's, Go work for go work for Uber if you want a flexible schedule and you want to nap a lot and you want a flexible schedule. Go work for Uber. Go drive a Toyota. Says <laughs> so, you know, it's, just know the trade-off. You know, I I love it. You know, my favorite thing to do is and not a joke at all. My favorite thing is to work on holidays. My favorite thing is to work on holidays because I I really feel I I feel like I glow inside that that I know nobody else is doing it. So any major holiday is a day for me to, to, to get ahead of the competition, to get ahead of the others that I know are slacking off. I know they're slacking off. So I, I feel so great. Some of the happiest days in my year, I don't give a shit about spending time with somebody on holidays. Whatever, whatever productive, industrious thing that I'd be doing, I just go do that. And I feel fantastic inside because nobody else will do it. Nobody else will do it. So um, I don't know. You know if, you, if you're not... If you're not willing, just, just burn this in your head this week. You know, if you're not willing to do things that 99% of people are, are too weak or too stupid to do, 
then don't ever expect to be in the top 1%. The top 1% in money is only like 10 point something million dollars is top 1% of net worth in the United States. So 10.6 million, something like that gets you in the top 1%. Now, most people that have that are in their 60s, you know, but um, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a big number. It's not a number that you can't go figure out if you wanted to. 10% of annual, in, or excuse me, top 1% top of annual income. I've seen two numbers. I don't know which one's more accurate. One said like 435,000 per year. The other said like 480,000 per year. So that's the, the rough order of magnitude. If you're making 450 grand a year, it's the top 1% of income in the United States. So I don't know. A guy that's, uh, when, when, a guy that I know, he has, uh, about 700 employees in his business and he has a call center. He, he runs a logistics company. Mm -hmm. So they do thousands of outbound calls every week. He's got a whole team of people that are, you know, he's got a whole office building with people that just go cold call businesses all around the country. And uh, he said you do 3,000, he said you do 10,000 calls that ends up with X number of meetings and Y number of, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, and uh, he said you get three new clients. When you do 10,000 calls, you get three new clients. So do 10,000 more calls. And you know, and he said, that's the process. So, you know, and, and in his business, he's pretty fucking wealthy, he's doing pretty well. And um, you know, it, does, it wouldn't hurt your feelings in a business context to like, to create a call center to, would you mind getting three new clients a week that were adding a lot of fucking money to your company? You're doing over a billion dollars in revenue. If you just do your 10,000 calls a week and get three new clients, would that hurt your feelings if you're doing more than a billion dollars in annual revenue? That's awesome. And that was the process? It's just part of the process. But if a guy goes and talks to three girls at the club and one of them don't want to go home with him immediately, he's like, oh, I suck. Oh, I'm no good. It's, it's, go talk to 20. That's what I said forever. It's, you know, talk to 20 girls and like, about one out of 20 should really, really like you. You know, it's like, if you talk to 20 girls, if you're, going, if you're communicating effectively, it's like well, one of them wants you to die in a fire. Yeah. Two of them just want you to go away. You know, 14 of them are somewhere on a spectrum of indifference. They don't love you, they don't hate you. you know? yeah. And those are the worst ones, by the way, because you, you didn't make enough of an impact that they have a strong opinion about you. If you go to talk to 20 girls with that enthusiasm, it's like, again, if you communicate it effectively of like not filtering, not being a bitch, not filtering those things out and being very forward about who you are and how you are, one of them wants you to die in a fire and one of them is going to go home with you tonight. And, and she's going to say, thank you. I can't believe I met a guy like you. Blah, 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 blah. My last boyfriend was such a douche. I'm so happy I met you. Do you think we could see each other again? Do you think you have time to see me again? I don't know. So if you're not willing to meet the girl who's like, fuck you, then you're also not going to have the girl that like thanks you and begs to see you again. You know? And there's the 14 in the middle is like, then some guy will ask like, Derek, how do I turn things around with the 14 in the middle? How do I make it work with the one that wants me to die in a fire? It's like, who cares? I have a few friends that are, actually I have several friends that are doctors, and um, you know, a couple of them are entrepreneurially inclined. And you know, there, there's tremendous money to make. Uh, one of my friends is a dental surgeon, went to a top school, taught at a top school, 
Um, has has a couple other very specific. He's uh, like you know the official dental surgeon of a very major organization that I'll omit talking about for his privacy. But um, yeah, so you know, he 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 is rather than working at some dental clinic somewhere, you know, he established his own, and then he bought another one, and then you know he'll go buy another one, and he'll go buy another one, and uh, you know you consolidate those, and someday you go sell it to a private equity firm for. A multiple of your EBITDA, which EBITDA you know, stands for earnings before interest, taxes, amortization, blah, blah, blah. It's also, you could translate that roughly as like bullshit earnings. Charlie Bunger calls that bullshit earnings. As if taxes aren't an expense, as if interest aren't an expense. But that's how private equity businesses look at this. So they'll, they'll go pay him a multiple of the EBITDA later, and, um, and he'll retire and he'll do anything that he wants to. You know, and I, I think. Uh, there's been a big consolidation recently in like addiction clinics that the private equity firms are paying silly money, silly money, billions of dollars buying up addiction clinics. So, you know, if, you're, if your one practice isn't worth so much, then you, you just, you own your job, you know? You don't have a business, you, you own a job more or less. But uh, when you have five, then that starts to mean something a little bit. And when you have 10 or 12 or 15, you know, now, now you have something that's worth a, a multiple of the earnings not just, you know, you, you'll get a much higher multiple if you have those, you know, systematized and, you know, they can, you can hand that off to a private equity firm and they can integrate it into another portfolio and so on and so on, you know. So I, I think that uh, the money to be made and a lot of medical stuff, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for doctors in general. And I, I generally have a lot of respect for that profession that uh, to, to the extent that they're talking about real science. And uh, I mean, a lot of people have been censored that uh, a lot of doctors are afraid to talk about uh, topics that are controversial at the moment. So, you know, they're getting, they're getting censored, they're getting banned off of platforms for, which is, because it doesn't fit with the official government position, you know? So in, in other countries, when they do that, they, they call that communism. So you might be aware of that. So, um, but yeah, I think the real, uh, you know, a person who's a doctor, like a medical doctor, you're uh, on average, you know, it's a, an average doctor, mediocre doctor, is somebody with a 130 IQ. It's a couple standard deviations above a normal IQ. And uh, you know, a person that has a brain function like that, that's taken, made the effort to, you know, be competitive, to go to a, a good medical school, and you spend a decade of your life basically being abused between your your formal education, academic education, and then after that you go do a residency, which is a, a multi-year hazing process that you get abused. You know, a person that had that dedication to do that and the brain function to do that, uh, it's always amazing to me that um, that looks like a lot harder to me than understanding you know, this. That's a lot harder than understanding this. So the person that did that, that had a, you know, a good foundation for business and entrepreneurship, could be making 10 or 20 or 50 times as much money as they're gonna make being a doctor at a hospital, or even being a top surgeon. Even a top surgeon, a top, uh, even a, the highest paid surgeons, like a, a brain surgeon, a heart surgeon, you know, they still have a hard time making a million dollars a year, like 500, 800 maybe, still gonna have a hard time making a million dollars a year. I made about a million dollars last week. 
and I didn't change my sleep schedule to do it. So, you know, I don't know, I, just, I, I think it's a little sad that uh, a lot of people in that profession, you know, smart people, very hard working, actually care about people, most of them. Some of them are very narcissistic and especially surgeons, but most of them actually care about people and you know, want to help people in some way. And um, a person that had that work ethic and that brain capacity and you know, the desire to you know, kind of make a martyr of their life you know, to help other people with something, uh, it feels sad to me they don't make even more money as a, a person that had the ability to do all those things for not much extra effort, for 10% more ex effort, they could multiply their income you know, in, a, in a business context. You know? And there's very, very few people that understand those two things that are you know, a, a high quality medical professional and a good business person. It's almost comical how separated those two things are. So um, much harder for me to go learn how to be a good surgeon than for a good surgeon to learn you know, how to be uh, you know, fundamentals of entrepreneurship and how to turn that into real money. It'd take me 10 years to, 10 or 15 years to go be a good surgeon if I cared, if I put in the effort, you know? And it, it might take them 10 or 15 months <laughs> to go <laughs> to establish a practice and be making more money than they're currently making at a hospital or something. Does that make sense? Do you have a different angle you're thinking? I know, I know another guy that's a chiropractor that's doing the same thing that I just described. I have another friend that's finished his residency right now that's interested in doing that in addiction clinics. I have another friend that has two doctorate degrees. He has an MD and a PhD. He works on Wall Street that he's, he's using that, that medical knowledge uh, and his PhD knowledge. Uh, he, he works for a major firm on Wall Street helping them analyze the, the valuations of uh, you know, medical-related companies. So, uh, and he's, he's making more money than, you know, you know, a lot more than you'd make at a hospital. He's making Wall Street money, not hospital money. So, uh, and he's still an employee. He's not running a big fund or something, but, you know, he's still making 550, 600 a year or something like that. And bonuses vary, you know? So, if he had a shit year, he'd make 475 or something. Which, you know, you have a normal doctor, a non-surgeon would have a hard time getting that in a hospital, you know? make 150 or something. <laughs>